Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Busy afternoon coming up for you right here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm. And on supertalktv.com, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott. Rippy, thank you for being with us. Uh, you know by now, but we'll remind you as we get started that the Ceasefire text line is the best way for you to connect. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Ceasefire Business. Featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365 with Ceasefire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more all over a secure cloud-based solution with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at ceasefire.com slash business. Got a bunch of news today, some interesting stuff from a uh, conversation standpoint, and a couple of interviews you're not going to want to miss, including one that happened on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman visited with Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. We will have that conversation coming for you at about 4.45 this afternoon, Eh, a little after 4.30. So uh, from then until the end of the hour, uh, you'll get Haydad and Joel Coleman's conversation with Mike Leach. Look forward to that. Gary will join us for a little bit of a NASCAR recap and preview after a little bit of drama on the track last night. And in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, Luke Johnson will join us from Hattiesburg. We'll talk some Southern Miss athletics with him. Uh, also, a big, big development that could be uh, changing the way college baseball looks as we go forward and an announcement from the IHL today that uh, fall university activities will resume as normal. Normal operations is what they're calling it for the uh, fall semester on Mississippi college and university campuses. That was the uh, the note from the IHL. Of course, the caveat, you know, is you know, barring any state or national edicts that uh, come down that uh, affect the ability for those campuses to open but more progress. Boys, what's up? How are you, Michael? Doing okay, I think. It is Thursday. I double-checked, so that's good. Closer to the weekend. Yeah, long long weekend, weekend Memorial Day weekend coming up. Yeah, Yeah. no work on Monday. And the timing of it could not be better because even though it's a little bit different still, as it should be, I suppose, um, we can actually go do things this weekend. Like, you don't have to be cooped up inside on Memorial Day weekend. You can go somewhere and do something to celebrate the weekend. In the history of me hosting this radio show, regardless of the name of the show, but 
from the three o'clock to six o'clock time frame, I have never not worked on Memorial Day because Memorial Day has always been a big deal in the state of Mississippi because that's the day that the uh, field of 64 for the NCAA baseball tournament is announced every year. And more times than not, that has meant Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Southern Miss uh, all have seasons that are going to continue. And so we've jumped in and we've looked at the brackets and we've looked at who's hosting and who should be hosting and who's got the best draw and who's got a chance to get to Omaha. And we've done all of that on Memorial Day. And it's always been a fun show. But... I don't think there's any reason to do that this year, so you'll get the best of Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, Dad, it's a little sad. No, it's 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 more than a little sad. I mean, you know, postseason baseball sad. is so, that's right. It's, it's so much fun, you know. It's always enjoyable, uh, you know, especially like you said in this state where you know most years at least one team is hosting, and in years past it's been both teams hosting. So, yeah, it's not fun to miss out on that for sure. This feels like a year where you very well could have had both Ole Miss and Mississippi State hosting in Southern Miss as a, uh, a tournament participant as well. They've had a couple of times where they've hosted as well. Uh, I, I don't know if this was a hosting caliber ball club for Southern Miss, but I certainly think uh, they were an NCAA tournament team. So, uh, Rippy, you get Monday off. Does that mean time on the golf course somewhere for you? Uh, TBA, probably, hopefully. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, anything shaking uh, around Ole Miss and Oxford today for uh, for you, Rippy? No, I cleaned my room. <laughs> good. That's very what a good, boy. It's very eighth grade of you. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dad, give us a snippet. What are we going to hear from uh, Mike Leach coming up a little bit later this afternoon? Well, I had a crazy idea. I tweeted about this. I wanted to talk to Mike Leach about football. I didn't want to talk about Tiger King or you know anything else like that. So how he got uh, his Twitter gonna, password back? Not not mentioned. Uh, so that said, you know we talk about football. We talked about KJ Costello. We talk about you know the receiving core and and what you have to do to get that up to snuff and what he, what his plans are for Kylan Hill this fall and how he's going to try to get the ball into his hand as much as possible. Was he amenable to the idea of let's just talk football? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, and I, I thought I thought that he has, was. I thought his answers were good, and uh, you know, my, my guess is, and it's just a guess, but after the off season that he's had with you know the Twitter incident, and, and then you know what's happened recently with transfer portal, probably happy to talk football at this point, wouldn't you think? Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, I would think so. Um... I think that's probably the core of where his mind is. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's football and coaching and all the other stuff is interesting, but uh, he is a ball coach when uh, when you boil it all down. So we're going to spend a whole bunch more time on this because there's a lot here. But D1 baseballs, Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fit had a huge story out on uh, on their website d1baseball.com, and the uh, the tease or, or the lead in the story is a College World Series in mid July. An NCAA tournament beginning in early July, a college baseball season beginning the third weekend of March. Those are all things that will happen beginning with the 2022 season if a set of recommendations assembled by a five-coach panel of Power 5 coaches gets approval from other Division I coaches and passes at the highest levels of the NCAA in the coming months. So I do think that is a pretty big qualifier 
all the coaches have got to be on board. But it sounds like that may not be as big of a, uh, a hiccup or a hurdle as getting the NCAA and its leadership to, uh, to go along with this. Eric Bakich, the head baseball coach at Michigan, is chairing this, uh, this five-head uh, coach committee. But there's been a lot of input from guys like Brian O'Connor at Virginia, Mike Bianco at Ole Miss, Larry Lee at Cal Poly, Cliff Godwin at East Carolina, Josh Holliday at Oklahoma State, Ben Orloff at UC Irvine, uh, Reggie Christensen from uh, Sacramento State, uh, Dan McDonald at Louisville, and they've even brought James Andrews, Dr. James Andrews, the uh, renowned orthopedic surgeon, in to, uh, to talk about this as well. So let's not get into the details just yet, but just at a, at a surface level, just from a timing standpoint, what's your initial reaction to the idea of a college baseball season that gets pushed back about a month? So instead of mid-February for the opening weekend of the season, we're looking at mid to maybe the third week of March. For the start of the season, everything gets pushed back a month. That means the regular season ends in, what, mid to late June. Conference tournaments happen probably the last weekend in June. And then around the 4th of July, you begin regional play. On the surface, how does that sound to you? Sounds like it's the most practical uh, idea that's come from sports reform, at least in the college level, in a little while, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, we've often had this conversation over the years about what it will take for college baseball to be a profitable sport, not just for the handful of teams in the SEC that make money on baseball, and this article claims that it's only four. Did not mention Mississippi State, so they are not one of the four, but it was data from, I think it was 2019, uh, so maybe that's no longer the case. But either way, probably some stadium debt probably mixed in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a lot of stadium debt, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to guess. Um, but to grow the game nationally and make it to where it is profitable, and especially now when you have programs cutting baseball because it doesn't make them any money, this would be, according to this article, I read the entire thing, which was impossibly long, by the way. Um, it makes a ton of sense because you have big-time college athletic departments up north that don't even have baseball teams, let alone care about it and try to field a competitive baseball team because the majority of their seasons played when it's too cold to get anybody to show up. And so if you start the season a month later, I mean, it, it's warmer maybe. You can recruit better players. You can make more money, and people will actually show up to your games because it's not snowing on you. A sample 2022 schedule from D1 Baseball. Individual work from January 15th through February 10th. One of those deals where you get eight hours a week to work with uh, your student-athletes. From February 11th until March 18th, you would get uh, 20 hours a week, but that would be a five-week practice period, and then the college baseball season would begin on March 18th. Interesting thoughts. We'll get into more of that when we come back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Talking about this uh, baseball proposal that is uh, is out there that uh, broaches the idea of pushing the college baseball season back five weeks. And the uh, the sample calendar for 2022, so not this coming season, but two years from now, 
would be when students get back on campus mid-January, you would have January 15th through February 10th in which coaches would be able to work eight hours a week. Those would be kind of the individual workout times. And then you would have five weeks where you were allowed 20 hours of practice time per week. So from February 11th until March 18th, you would get 20 hours per week of practice time. College baseball season would begin on March 18th and would last 14 weeks. Conference tournaments would run the third week of June, June 22nd through the 26th. On Monday, June 27th, you would have the NCAA tournament selection show. Regional play would begin July 1st and would end on July 4th. Super regionals would happen July 8th, 9th, and 10th. And then the College World Series would begin on July 15th with it uh, completing with the National Championship Series July 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And as some of these proposals have come out in the past, they seem to have been geared toward, oh, we need to balance and make it more fair for programs in the northern part of the United States. Eric Backich, who again is chairing this uh, committee of five Power Five coaches and working in conjunction with a bunch of other coaches across the country. There are a bunch of coaches that have had input on this. Was quoted as saying this in the story at D1 Baseball. This isn't the competitive equity proposal we've seen in previous years. I think that's important to know. And the coaches who have been working on this proposal do not need changes in order to have successful programs. So you've got coaches of already successful programs on a year-in, year-out basis who are on board with this idea. So the bigger picture idea is this. If college baseball wants to continue to grow financially, if college baseball wants to eventually get approval for another assistant coach, if college baseball wants to eventually get past 11.7 scholarships, then it needs to stop being a drain financially on its athletics departments. Eric Backage goes on to say, this is about the sustainability and growth of college baseball for 2022 and beyond. Universities and athletics departments across the country are facing a financial crisis, and our sport operates at a significant financial net loss amongst teams. That's not a good combination. So, we talk about the passion for college baseball in the state of Mississippi. And then beyond that, the passion for college baseball in the SEC. Borky pointed out a second ago, using 2019 numbers, there were four SEC teams that operated in the black that were plus money, positive money financially. Those four programs were LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. We've been told or have been led to believe that Mississippi State is operating in the black as well. Maybe that just wasn't the case for the study that was commissioned in 2018. Obviously, a lot of money's been spent and invested into the program with the, uh, the new stadium and with the increased luxury seating and the new seating license. You, you would expect that Mississippi State, if they're not currently in the black, they're trending in that direction. Texas is a program that operates in the black. There are a handful of others. Vanderbilt is a program that breaks even. Outside of that, everybody loses money. Everybody loses money across the country. 
And so for college baseball to be able to say, we need more scholarships. We need another assistant coach. You've got the coaching community coming together to say, we can make that argument with, with more force and with something behind it if we're able to say, we're not draining the athletic department from a revenue standpoint. We are at the very least breaking even, if not contributing to the overall financial success. This strikes me as a really good way for college baseball to approach getting some of the things that it needs and we think it deserves. Agree? Agree. Yeah, 100%. Rippy, what's your thought on this? I don't know. It's a, That piece was impossibly long. I just finished it. A lot going on here, but I think it's generally probably a good idea, but... Like, the logistics of actually getting this done is kind of what I was left wondering. Like, what is the likelihood of this actually passing or happening? Uh, and then is it, there any concern it, other than the draft? I, I mean, summer leagues, well. they addressed it somewhat. Like, what does that do to that? Like, I mean, it obviously won't be the same. Will it kill it completely? Probably not, because a bunch of these schools will end their season in June. It may change the calendar a little bit. I don't know. But, but why would summer leagues impact this kind of decision-making at all? Well, like, who, who would be concerned enough about summer leagues to, if they bring it to a vote, to vote no on this? I didn't say that was the case. I was just curious what would happen to summer leagues. Oh. But I would venture to say a majority of the coaches probably wouldn't want summer leagues to go completely by the wayside. Yeah, I, I was going to say every college baseball coach in America. Yeah, I would say they would definitely want to keep summer leagues. There's a lot of value in that, particularly with players that are not necessarily on your travel roster or do not contribute this year. It's pretty valuable. Yeah, and just in terms of development, because uh, say you come in and you don't play as a freshman, you need competitive at-bats, and so you go play in a summer league. Maybe you're not playing in Cape Cod. I mean, maybe you're playing in Alaska or California or in the Cotton States, in New Albany or in the Great Plains leagues. It's go somewhere where you can go get 150 or 200 at-bats in July. Yeah, I'm aware of the importance of summer leagues, but why? I'm, I'm asking about the hang-up. Like, why couldn't they just start a little bit later? Well, I'm sure that's then you run what they would school. have to do. Right, I mean, with what we're talking about here, you know, if the season ends mid-July, school starts mid-August, you've only got a month. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a hang-up, but at some point you, you've got to look at the big picture and say, okay, what's the greater good here? Are, are we trying to protect the sanctity of wood bat leagues that happen in the Northeast and the Upper Midwest, or are we trying to grow college baseball? And so to the question that Borky's asking, I would hope that the majority of coaches would say, look, we we got to do what's best for our sport. I'm sure there are people who are going to say, yeah, well, what about the draft? Well, what about the draft? I mean, if it happens, what, the first week of June, instead of having guys sign contracts and run off to you know rookie ball or low A ball, or just kind of shutting things down until you get to the fall leagues, they're going to continue to play baseball at the uh, at the college level. Or maybe Major League Baseball says, yeah, we'll sign on for this. 
we're making some changes to minor league baseball anyway, and uh, it just means that we're not going to get the college kids into our programs for the end of rookie ball. The first time we're going to see them is in the Arizona Fall League. Do you see Major League Baseball? I mean, Rippy, you, you've kind of followed the Major League game and, and been around those um, franchises. Do you see this as something that Major League Baseball would be okay with? Um, I don't know because, I mean, a lot of these kids, when their season finishes, they go to short, like, sim leagues or whatever. And so it probably would delay when and how, like, long they get their hands on their prospects uh, after the draft. So I'm not sure it's necessarily something they'd be in favor of, but, like, do they really have that much control over this at all? Aren't they cutting those anyway? Some. I'm not sure that we've got a clear idea of exactly what minor league baseball is going to look like three years from now. It won't be without significant cuts for sure. Yeah. I mean, they, what was it? There's 160 minor league teams out there right now, and the, the last report said that there was going to be a cut of 40 of them, and all of them would have been short season single A or rookie ball. Um, next layer of this. The proposal is broken into three distinct parts. Financial sustainability, which we've talked about. Academics, which we haven't talked about, but the reality is that there are studies out there that show that Students who have um, seasons that are not exclusively in the fall semester or the spring semester overall have better APRs. So they're not as focused on academics the entire time. And basically, you'd go through, what, two-thirds of the spring semester without traveling to games. And then the other part is student welfare, student-athlete welfare, and that's kind of where Dr. James Andrews comes into play the idea is you're not putting guys out in cold weather and you're giving them a longer ramp-up period to the start of the season. Some interesting quotes from Dan McDonald and then some really fascinating stuff in the financial sustainability piece of this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We're going to press pause on the baseball conversation and talk a little NASCAR. For the first time since 1984, we had a race in NASCAR on a Wednesday. It happened in Darlington, second race in four days after uh, you had a, a race on Sunday. And Denny Hamlin came out on top last night in a rained-shortened event. 20 laps remaining at Darlington, and they had to stop the event because of rain. Our NASCAR guru... I got to decide if that's how we're going to label him or if there is a better label to uh, give Scary Gary. Is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Farm Bureau Mississippi. Denny Hamlin gets the win last night, Gary. That's right. He stole one last night because of the rain coming in. Uh, they had a they had a caution flag right before uh, the rain came in and everybody was watching the radar and Ryan Newman and... Um, the 15 of uh, uh, Pierce, they, they stayed out on old tires and thought they were going to get it to rain earlier, but it, it didn't rain long enough that uh, everybody else got by them on new tires, and Denny Hamlin stole one out from under them right there. I mean, it was a good race, but the rain was a little short, and they, they were lucky to get the race in yesterday because it rained up there most of the afternoon, and they finally got the track 
dried and they were able to race. And then, of course, it came back at the end of the end of the race and rained them out. But they got it in, and uh, it was a good race. I mean, it was a lot of a lot more was going on this time than last time because I think everybody was trying to feel their way through it. But this time there was, I mean, it was they were they were some folks really going for it last night, and uh, of course. Kevin Harvick had another good run. He lucked up at the end and like finished in the top five. So, you know, he's he's hanging right in there. And uh, it was just a all in all, it was another good race. It was different, a lot of different faces up front for a change. But people are starting to figure out what they're doing, what they need to do, and and they're doing it. And I mean, it seems like that everything's working pretty good for them right now. I mean, as as far as not having fans, the races are going on, and they're good races. They're entertaining. So, I mean, what more could you want when there's nothing else to watch on TV? Well, you also got uh, international relations. You know, the, the bird, the, the finger. Uh, that oh, was, yeah, uh, Chase Elliott. He, yeah, Chase Elliott expressed that uh, Kyle Busch was number one in his in his world. So I mean, so so what happened? Take us through that crash and why Chase Elliott was so mad. Well, Chase had a good car and he had been had been consistent and was getting the car better and was at the point where it was time to start going toward the end of the race. And Chase had a good run going, and the eighteen was trying to get past him. And the eighteen said he he got beside him and he looked in his rearview mirror and and he was trying to get behind the nine, but. He was a foot off of getting behind the nine. He just just drove up into him and clipped him, and of course crashed him into the wall and sent him to the inside wall. And and of course Chase wanted they uh, the ambulance guy showed up and wanted to get him in the car, but Chase wanted to express his values of what he thought of the driving of the eighteen. And of course uh, uh, Ronnie Childress, which is the used to be the crew chief for the 18 is now the crew chief for the nine. So the nine team went down to the 18's team and basically was sitting on the pit wall and uh, NASCAR called one of the officials down there and told the, the four team that they had to get out of the pit. And I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was going to be some fireworks, but NASCAR stepped in and broke it up before it, uh, they lit the fuse on it. But, they, uh, yeah. After the race, Rodney went over and had his words with with uh, Bush, and uh, of course Bush got on TV and said that you know he just it was his mistake. He took it, he, you know he he took full you know responsibility that he wasn't he, he wrecked him accidentally. He said it was an accident. He just turned in and didn't think, and you know he wasn't clear and it crashed him. Well, and he said, "Yeah, I'll probably." Oh, wait, are you not buying that? The what? Are you not buying that explanation? Because Kyle Busch on Twitter said, I want to apologize again to Chase and his team. I made a mistake and misjudged the gap. I really hate that it happened for those guys. I have too much respect for Chase and Allen to do that maliciously. You don't buy that? Yeah, he, he messed up. Yes, he messed up. But he's had he's a caliber of driver that he, he should have been knowing where he was, and his spotter should have told him, you know, outside, outside, but he came right on up in there to him. It's, I mean, they were on the straightaway. This wasn't coming out of a turn. This was on a straightaway that he did this. Mm. So, you know, when you turn to the <laughs> turn to the right going straight, there's something going on with the steering wheel, and, and it just wasn't going straight. So, But that was the excuse, and, you know, it's racing is racing, and things happen, and everything's going to happen real fast. So, I mean, it's, 
you know, boom, you touch somebody, and it don't take much to spin these cars out. Just, I mean, basically, if you was able to have somebody at the passenger side and could reach out the car and push that car, push on the rear of that car when you go by, you could spin him out sometimes. That's how loose sometimes these cars really are. They're on the wow. ragged edge of breaking loose. And, of course, you've got a little uh, bit of a tap. You've got an Xfinity race going on right now. This is the race that was supposed to happen on Tuesday. It's actually uh, being run this afternoon again because of the weather issues. I want to ask you about this quote from um, from uh, Denny Hamlin. He says about Darlington, it's a driver's racetrack. You can do different things to make the car handle. We got it right. What does that mean when he says that Darlington is a driver's racetrack? It really is, because you don't go and race the other competitors at Darlington. You go and race the racetrack, because the racetrack is like driving on old, gritty sandpaper. It just eats the tires away, and you have to you have to be able to manage your tires and manage manage everything, you know, to keep the tires under you, because tires is, is what meets the ground, and you wear them out, you're not getting the grip you need. And, of course, it, he's right. You can run a low line and save your tires, but it's a, it's a longer way around. And the fast way that everybody goes now is right up. I mean, if you notice, they're almost rubbing the fence. They call it the Darlington Strike, where they'll go up just accidentally and tap the fence. Well, it puts some, it flat spots these cars on the side, and it rolls that little bit of a lip that's right over the top of the tire. It rolls it down flat. Well, when you go into the turns, the tires will will flex and, and move back and forth, and that tire will lean up against that fender, and it'll rub that tire, and a lot of times you'll see it smoke. Well, if it's a bad enough rub, it'll cut that tire down, and then, then of course, it'll, you know, it's going to wreck you. But it's um, it's really, you know, it is a driver's racetrack. You, you, you have to drive it. To, you know, you drive, the, you race the track. You don't race the competitors there. It's the same way as uh, going to Dover. You, 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 you race the track because it's such a monster of a track. It just eats your tires yeah. away. Uh, they're under caution in the Xfinity race right now, about 18 laps in. Gary, got one last question. We've got about a minute and a half left until the break. How much carryover is there between cup drivers and Xfinity drivers? I mean, are we seeing guys that raced last night turn around and race again today, or is it a completely separate set of drivers? Well, it is pretty much a complete now it is used to be the the Xfinity series you had what they call the interlocals which would be the cup drivers come in and they would come and race and basically go for the money they wasn't in it for the points or nothing they were in it for just to win the money and win the race well NASCAR now has has made it more fair for the for the guys that totally compete in Xfinity because if you have like Kyle Busch shows up and wins five or six races you know, he takes all the points away from you, and you're not able to get your points to win the championship. Well, now NASCAR has, has limited the number of times that they can go and race. So, yeah, you may have Kyle Busch running a series of races, but it won't be all of them. Now, coming up at Charlotte this weekend, Kyle Busch is going to run the Cups, the Xfinity, and the Trucks. So he's going to run. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and they, Gary, they, to your 1500, point? 1,500 miles. To, to your point, no, Kyle Busch is in—he's in fifth right now in this Xfinity race, so he's running today as well. Yeah, well, okay, well, like he—he will run a 
you know, seven or eight races that NASCAR will let you run, and they're hand-chosen races that you hmm. go and race. But most of the time, he'll have, like, his, his car that he owns, he'll have another driver that drives for his team when he's not racing that car. Wow. Interesting stuff. Gary, we're out of but time. No, the, hey, look, hey. real quick, real quick. The, those Xfinity drivers are trying to work their way up the cup. So it's a stair-stepping thing. And, of course, you take the best cream of the crop and put it with the new guys. They learn, they race with some of the best guys. If they can beat them, hey, you're getting better. But, yeah, look, man, I'll let uh, you go since we've got a break. Y'all have a good day. All right, my friend. Many of you seem to really enjoy this, and as long as Gary's willing to keep doing it, we're going to keep bringing it to you. Quinn says... Dude, I love the Scary Gary NASCAR Minute. Uh, Richard and Wiggins says, Nine will get his revenge. Uh, We get the um, NASCAR drivers. Athletes? Yes or no? Stan and Ripley says, Good interview with Gary. I love getting inside info on NASCAR. And then we also get this note, Mississippi has a ton of NASCAR fans, and I'm one of them. Love it. So, I'm learning stuff. Hopefully you're enjoying it. We'll keep going with it. Sports Talk Mississippi. That was Scary Gary on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Farm Bureau Mississippi. And if you leave me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Thursday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. It was fun with Scary Gary. We'll keep the uh, we'll keep it coming for uh, for you as well. Um Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Jeff says, not really a fan of NASCAR, but Scary Gary's insights in racing are interesting. Super Talk needs to, uh, this is also from, it's a different Jeff. Super Talk needs to give Scary Gary a one-hour show starting at 6 p.m. Pass that along. Uh, BJ and Brandon sends us the throw-up emoji after the word NASCAR. I said, guess it's not for everybody, and he laughed. Uh, Stan and Ripley, good interview with Gary. Love getting inside info on NASCAR. All right, here was something that came in on the uh, the baseball conversation. And we'll just kind of let this hang out there, and we will uh, circle back to it in just a few minutes. Don't have a ton of time right here. Growing the sport of baseball is fine, but I fail to see how delaying the season for a month will get the NCAA to increase scholarships. People have been screaming about the 11.7 for years. Say you tripled the amount of profitable programs. Will that really force the issue and lead to increased scholarships for baseball? Nope. Any thoughts on that? Well, it's like you said, you're trying to make the sport more profitable. You know, allowing a lot of the northern teams to stop traveling for a month at the beginning of the season, I think would go a long way for that. If those teams can start playing in March and then having to start in the middle of February and having to spend the whole month on the road, that, that's going to bring their, their costs down a lot. And by that same token, the southern teams don't have to pay for those opponents to come down anymore. I see what he's saying, but isn't there a difference between mitigating losses and becoming actually profitable? There is. But, I mean... Maybe it's a step in the right direction. Maybe That's before you can true. become profitable, you got to mitigate losses a little bit. You, <laughs> what is it, when you find yourself in a hole and you want to get out, what's the best thing to do? Stop digging? Do you think it's pretty unselfish, though? I, I mean, considering the group of, of names on here, of course, Michigan, the coach of Michigan being in a different boat. Uh, but to have guys like Bianco and Dan McDonald on this committee or whatever you want to call it trying to get 
more competition for themselves when they've got it pretty good right now is it's kind of noble, isn't it? I mean, I think that's one way to look at it. And, and I think it shows you that college baseball coaches care about the sport and the health of college baseball. I mean, yeah, we love the fact that the SEC is the dominant conference, and it's going to continue to be. Just because you push the schedule back doesn't mean that Michigan's going to start averaging 7,000 fans a game or that Ohio State's going to start bringing in 5,500 a game or that the University of Washington in Seattle, all of a sudden the interest in you know, Huskies baseball is going to explode to the point where they're averaging 4,000 a game. That's not necessarily going to happen. But one of the things that they point out here, even when you're taking teams like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, LSU, Without fail, the average attendance in April, May, and June is greater than the average attendance in February and March. And that's because the weather gets better. Arkansas in 2019 averaged 7,700 in February, 8,300 in March, and then 92, 10, 5, and 11,000 in April, May, and June. For Mississippi State, not as big of a difference until you get to June, 8,200. 80, almost 900, dipped down a little bit in April to 8,700, stayed at about that number in May, and then in June jumped to 11,300. Ole Miss, 8,500 in February, 8,500 in March, 9,600 in April, 9,000 in May, it actually came down a little bit, and then 9,800 in June. Now, it's worth noting that in 2019, those June averages, Mississippi State was a team that hosted a regional and a super regional. Arkansas hosted a regional and a super regional. Uh, so did LSU. LSU averages 10-7 in February, 10-3 in April, 10-5 in uh, I'm sorry, 10-3 in March, 10-5 in April, 10-7 in May, and 11-2 in June. So you don't see the drastic shift that you do in the state of Arkansas, where it goes from redonkulously cold in February to spectacular in June. I, I guess Louisville might be an example. 600 in February, 800 in March, 1,500 in April, 2,500 in May, and 3,000 in June. So, significant difference when you're talking about attendance numbers over the course of the season. So if you don't start games until the third week of March, and then you get March, April, May, June, and then into July, I guess the theory there is the weather's better, more people are coming to the ballpark. Seems like a reasonable theory. I mean, Rippy, not everybody gets 70 and sunny on an opening day like we do every single year in the state of Mississippi. True, without fail. Without fail. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout, and we will be back right after the news. Can't even get a head bob out of you, hey, Dad, Al, this Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday weekend just around the corner. Holiday weekend, Memorial Day coming up on Monday. 
We're getting a last dance about Tom Brady. Hollywood Reporter with the story. Following the breakout success of The Last Dance, ESPN has ordered another docu-series about an athlete considered the greatest in his sport, Tom Brady. It is a nine-episode series. It's produced by Gotham Chopra's Religion of Sports and a recently formed production company by Tom Brady called 199 Productions. It will be called Man in the Arena and will offer the quarterback's first-hand account of pivotal moments in his career, including all nine of his Super Bowl appearances with the New England Patriots. It is set to air sometime in 2021. We were all excited about the Michael Jordan documentary. You got Lance Armstrong coming up this week. ESPN, uh, after the ratings bonanza, uh, averaged over 5 million viewers for the entire 10 episodes of The Last Dance, uh, wants to do more of this. Does this do anything for you? It's it's interesting, and I think I think Brady is an interesting character. But at the same time, the reason the Last Dance did so much is because we, there was nothing else. So I mean, this unless this is just something groundbreaking, which I don't think it will be. It's not like it's going to be some sort of ratings bonanza for uh, for ESPN. No, but this is uh, about to become the norm. Like. <laughs> If you're in the upper pantheon of athletes, you're going to get a documentary. You're going to be named executive producer, at least have full autonomy on it, and it's going to be lengthy and probably not totally true. Are we okay with that, though? Sure. I mean, it's information. It's entertaining, but like, it seems to be trending more and more in that direction. Borky, you're, you're a ratings guy. Hey, Dad said not nearly as many people would have watched if we had had anything else going on with the Jordan documentary. Do you believe that to be true? Because the original plan was to air it during the NBA Finals on off days between games in the NBA Finals. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, maybe not averaging over $6 million, but it still would have uh, shattered the Bo Jackson documentary, which is number two now as far as sports documentaries and viewership. Well, It would have shattered that uh, without a doubt. The more it would, you it would have done, it would have done well. But there still would have been baseball on. There would have, you know, been, just been other things to watch as opposed to we were and and we would have had sports in the two months prior or however long prior to that that yeah. it, we, we wouldn't have just been so starved for anything new new in sports that we were just going to watch that. That said, maybe we got robbed. Could you imagine first take or undisputed if you had LeBron in the finals and then the Jordan doc on the oh. off days? You know who really would have wanted that, though, to tell you the truth? Drip Bayless. But LeBron. You. LeBron would have much rather have been playing during the airing of that documentary than not, without a Do you doubt. you think LeBron watched all 10 but episodes? Every second of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or I worst case, Kawhi's episodes, playing so in the finals good. and you get Jordan on the off days. Well, maybe that, too, but man... Yeah, <laughs> Why are you going to be like that, Rippy? <laughs> that would be the absolute disaster scenario for uh, Mr. James and yeah. his hairline. Would it would have been, but the way the way that team was constructed and the way they would have absolutely run through the playoffs while that documentary was airing would have slowed down the overabundance of takes that came after that documentary. Because there are people that think that that documentary proved that one is better than the other. And I'm, I don't want to go down that road where we debate which one's better, but that documentary didn't prove anything. It may have confirmed your biases, but it was a very good, excellent, one-sided account of 
one of the two. It didn't confirm anything. You're talking, you're talking about the last dance, right? Right, yeah. What do you mean of one of the two? You have, it's the ongoing insufferable debate of who's better, LeBron or Jordan. Everybody oh, debates it all man. the time, and people are saying that this documentary proved that oh, Jordan's yeah. better. No, I mean, it didn't. Come on. No. It was just a really well-produced, interesting, fun diversion Yeah. about the greatest of all time. <laughs> hey, that's hey, but on board. It it didn't prove that he was. He was either in your eyes he already was or he was not. And there's nothing about those ten episodes that uh, are definitive one way or the other. Yeah, uh, nobody watched that and went, okay, now I changed my mind. Right. Either way. <laughs> uh, on the Brady side, though, I don't understand why he gets so much hate. I, I guess maybe I do actually. I'm a big pro Tom Brady guy. I, I think there is. Like, the online vitriol that came from sports media people today about, oh, I'll never watch a documentary about Tom Brady. Gross. Like, what, what do you mean gross? I mean, come on. Is he not, like, the all-American man? Like, the guy that we all aspire to be? Superstar athlete. Married to a supermodel. Millionaire. That's what every guy wants to do in their life. And yet, everybody hates him for it. Why? Because of slightly underinflated footballs? Give me, give me a break. I'm very pro Tom Brady. I will watch all of this. I don't understand the hate for the guy. Maybe it's just jealousy. It's probably what it is. I'm very pro Brady. I will watch probably every second of it. Yeah. I th- I the Brady, I uh, the Brady is. A, I don't know if it's a thirty for thirty or is it an NFL films thing, but the one about the quarterbacks that was drafted. In front. Yeah, I found that very very compelling. I thought it was very good, very well done, and very interesting. Oh, oh! You're not talking about the one that's coming up. You're talking about the one that has already happened. Yeah, the one about the quarterbacks that were drafted, the, the Brady Six or whatever it's called. Yeah, no, that was really good. That was one of those where I probably would not have watched it if I had been at home because I'm just not like appointment viewing for me. But I was stuck in a hotel room somewhere along the way and was probably working on basketball or you know baseball prep, and and it was on, and I found myself just completely engaged. Yeah. And it was it was really good, really really good. They're talented storytellers all over the place, and you know, I, as I was reading about the uh, the Brady thing and and kind of thinking about the structure of the Last Dance, you know, Phil Jackson played such a prominent role. You had so many players. There were a few players that that it did not agree to be part of it, did not agree to be interviewed. Carl Malone, one of them, but. I can't help but wonder, will Bill Belichick cooperate? Will we get a long sit-down interview with Bill Belichick where they cover parts of all nine seasons and or all nine trips to the Super Bowl where he talks openly and candidly and interestingly? Or is he going to be like, yeah, I'm not participating in this? I will say that one thing that makes the Brady thing a little bit more interesting is his rivals – are more likely to, to talk and be a little more open. Like, I think Barkley was in this, but you didn't get much, you didn't get anything from Carl Malone, um, you know. And, and and also Jordan really didn't have a ton of guys that you would say there was a real rivalry with outside of the Pistons, I guess. But if we can talk to Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and and you know some of the Ben Roethlisberger, some of the guys you know he's been he's gone up against all these years, that that's interesting to me. Yeah, the the Eli Manning piece of this will be fascinating. 
because nine trips to the Super Bowl, six rings, but didn't fare so well against the Giants in the Super Bowl. Right. Hmm. So that's coming uh, a year or so from now, and hopefully there's no pandemic going on that uh, causes us to drive to it in, uh, in record numbers. Uh, you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the ceasefire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Seaspire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash Business. Uh, Ceasefire text line. LeBron should have a highlight reel of him falling and flopping on the floor with no contact. Brady <laughs> chose to work hard and get better with an OCD coach. Here's another one. The only thing I hated about the last dance was how they told the story. How they jumped back and forth would have been a lot better if they started from the beginning and went straight through. I see I why they did that, that though, because the 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 foundation of the film was this all this. Un, like never before seen footage from the last season so like threading that needle is incredibly yeah. difficult I agree it was confusing but I get why that happened on the documentary live sports front by the way I mean like we've said the last dance shattered every record doubled number two in sports documentaries aired on ESPN still got beat by the NASCAR race this past weekend not last night but this past weekend the one on Sunday yeah had more people watch that than the last dance. It just live sports is king, and that was a, a record for NASCAR as well. But that's the point. We're just thirsty for it. Text message: LeBron James plays basketball. Michael Jordan is basketball. Still sells okay. more shoes than anybody. I'm looking very forward to that McGuire Sosa thirty for thirty. Anybody else? Yes. Eh. Yes, that summer was so much fun. And I know there are people that go, ah, it's when I quit baseball. Nah, whatever. Get over yourself. C Spire text line. Can you check how many people have actually received unemployment benefits and what to do if you have not? Email and calling does not work. We need help. You've come to the right place. Uh, you got a phone number we can call while we're on the air? We'll give them a call and see what's going on with that. Gallo at 6. JT Show at 10. In the morning. Gallo in the morning. That's got to come out of retirement, Borky. I will look through this system and see if I can find it. I know they don't use it anymore. Um, Mike Leach interview done by Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman coming your way up. About 15 minutes from right now. Did did you make him laugh at all? Uh, I think I mean, you said I this was like all chuckled. football all the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you, it wasn't, you get it wasn't a little personality. Was, uh, yeah, I, we, oh, there's definitely, especially at the beginning, I just asked him what he's been doing to keep up, and he made some sort of comment about, you know, I was watching this documentary, you know what it is, and I'm just like, how would I know what it is? I don't know what it is you're doing. So, but no, I mean, he, he definitely had some. Uh, he, he had his normal flair in there, but it, it, we, like I said, we tried to, to stick to the uh, to the meat and bones of football because, by gosh, 
I don't know. I, I just feel like you can get that interview that that with the quirky, you know, tell me about all this crazy stuff interview with Mike Leach just about anywhere. Ask the man about, you know, the guy's one of the best coaches in the country. Let's ask him about, you know, what he does. Okay. Can't wait to hear it. That's coming uh, your way in uh, just a little while. Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Um, what's your gut feeling on this baseball proposal? D1 Baseball has uh, has put a poll up on Twitter. They've gotten about 3,500 votes so far. Are you in favor of it? Are you not in favor of moving the season back about a month? And 70-ish percent are saying yes, in favor of it. I don't, I don't. I don't see why. You know, you think about, especially from a fan perspective, it's it's that's a win-win because think about MSU this year. Their first, I think, three Friday home games were pushed to one o'clock because it was just so darn cold that they were worried mm-hmm. about you know severe winter weather or whatever. For for even a four o'clock first pitch, they were worried about people being out past six or seven o'clock. It was going to be below freezing. So the thought that yeah, you could have. You know, get into March where it's going to be in the 60s, 70s, you know, Brian Haydad kind of weather to start the season. I, I don't see how fans could possibly be against that. You're also teetering into that last unclaimed sports real estate in July. Like, mm-hmm. I know Major League Baseball is yeah. having your postseason in the pinnacle of your sport being when literally nothing else is on, probably helps. Not that there's a ton on when it normally happens, but you do have the NBA finals and hockey and stuff. For the people that hey, this matters to no one, I, I, I get that. Uh, unless you work covering a team, but if you happen to cover all the sports, like college football and then college basketball and then college baseball, there there's a little something that's nice about that window from the end of June until about the first week or two of August. There's really nothing going on. That goes away, but so be it. I, I I hate the idea of having to wait an extra month for the start of the college baseball season, but we'll adapt. We'll, we'll get there. Well, and you're, and you're busy. Well, why, we've got, okay, why we've got college basketball that? going on right then. It's not like we're going to be having nothing to talk about, as opposed to, to say, what oh, Rippy said. Where we have that month of July where we're just like, no, hey, I, I don't, hold on, you, you missed the point. That was 100% purely selfish. I love college baseball, and it just means I have to wait a month longer for it to start. That's all I meant I, by that. I would actually prefer it in that sense because the, the, the back and forth between baseball and basketball is not ideal. Yeah, I agree with that. I would say that this is a positive for television. If you want to watch more college baseball, you're not competing with basketball season. And so if the season doesn't begin until March 18th, ESPN is basically out of the basketball business at that point. SEC Network certainly is out of the basketball business at that point. So the final Saturday of the regular season of men's basketball this year was March 7th. If you fast forward one week, the championship game of the SEC tournament would have been March 15th if it had played out. And that's the weekend that you're talking about college baseball season beginning. So you start when basketball's conference tournaments end. Yeah, for the first couple of weeks, you're competing against the NCAA tournament. 
But, you know, each weekend you get past, you lose a whole bunch of teams. And ESPN doesn't air NCAA tournament games. That's all on CBS. So they got some NIT games to work around and the women's NCAA tournament to work around. But after a couple of weekends, you're going to have college baseball. You'll have two weekends of non-conference college baseball on ESPN's kind of all of their platforms, but you'll also have SEC Network and ACC Network that are carrying college baseball from the jump. And some of those those cool early season matchups, I mean, Ole Miss-Louisville, for example, this year, that would have been on television, I think. Probably a dumb question. Them. Don't care. That would increase revenues, would it not? Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah. If you're adding, how many baseball games would that add? The five-week moving of the schedule, that adds how many TV baseball games? Um, we're talking about SEC only? Yeah, across, just, for, like, just the for the SEC revenue distribution purposes. I mean, we're talking maybe about, what, 20? Four, yeah, four weeks and a game a day. Yeah, I'd say, you know, maybe, two, two maybe, games a day. maybe one on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday for four weeks, so 20 games. Nah, so marginal. That's worth something. It's worth yeah, it's college. Though. Yeah, it's college baseball. They're not renegotiating the deal over 20 additional college baseball regular season games. That's not like adding six more college football games to the inventory. But it's a win for the consumer. I mean, if you're a college baseball fan for and you sure. get 20 additional games on television and maybe three of those involve your team, that's a win, I think. Um, so more exposure, more revenue, though not necessarily related to television, mitigating expenses for a, a lot of the teams up north, and d- does it grow the college baseball fan base? I mean, you would think so. There was a time when there wasn't a lot of college basketball on television. Now it's everywhere, and college basketball fan base has, has, has grown. Same with college football. It used to be just a couple games a week. Now you can get it everywhere. So, Accessibility is the key to growth. Exactly. I don't see why it wouldn't be. I mean, it's still right now, even with this is very first world problems, but I think it's, it still matters to watch all but just a few of Ole Miss and Mississippi State baseball games. You have to get a device that plugs into the right television or watch it on your laptop, which, again, you can do it, and most people do it and not complain, but that's still just one unnecessary step. The more accessible college baseball is to the casual sports fan, that's not going to go make sure their Apple TV or Roku is working and they've got the right app downloaded and the login works, and they have to go to the dashboard and search for the game, and then it's probably going to buffer a few times because the app's terrible. To watch their games, it's much more accessible. That will grow interest from casual sports fans, especially in the summer months when they've got nothing to do and they've got their feet up holding a beer. Like Those are the people that you want to help grow your game, right? Make it as easy for them to watch you as possible. Right now, it's still not there. It's way ahead of what it was eight years ago, but it's not there yet. Progress. Progress all over the place. And I think that's good for the, uh, the game of college baseball. Board of Trustees 
of the State Institutions of Higher Learning in Mississippi today passed a resolution stating the board's intention that the campuses of all eight public universities make plans to resume traditional operations on their campuses in the fall of 2020. You've seen announcements or whispers or innuendo or whatnot from Mississippi State, from Ole Miss. We've said all along the IHL at some point is going to make an announcement and that will be kind of the the law of the land. And uh, you get that today. So... Board of Trustees at the IHL said, get ready to go back to work, everybody. Traditional operations this fall. College is coming back to a town near you in mid-August. Barring, of course, anything unforeseen in the COVID saga. Take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line and check in with the Thunder and Lightning podcast which uh, earlier today recorded an interview with Mike Leach, head football coach at Mississippi State. Sit tight. Be right back. In the state of Mississippi, we were looking forward to spring football. You had storylines abounding new coaches in multiple places, and specifically at Mississippi State, uh, it was the installation of the Air Raid offense, which is coached by Mike Leach. That has been his football life for the uh, better part of two and a half, I guess maybe even three decades. It's what he does. Mississippi State, hey, Dad, is going to play a very different brand of football this year. And I stand by the fact that I think it's going to take a little adjusting, a little getting used to in certain areas. Yeah, and especially from a fan perspective, I think, and from, I guess, from our perspective too, because it's going to be a situation where you see that team come on the field in maroon and white that you've seen, you know, run the ball your entire life, and all of a sudden they're going four and five wide, and at the end of the game, the quarterback the quarterback has fifty five sixty attempts. Uh, you know, that's difficult for me as a person who's followed Mississippi State football my whole life to wrap my <laughs> head around. You know, I thought there there have been three game stretches for MSU in my life where they didn't throw sixty passes. So yeah, that's something you know. And that's something that I ask. I, that's actually one of my first questions to Coach Leach in this interview is, you know, is there more of a challenge when you uh, you go to a school where there has never been a pass-first mentality? K.J. Costello is expected to be the starting quarterback. There are questions about who's going to catch the football. There are questions about what the role of Kylan Hill is going to be. You will hear some of that as we go right now to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman with Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. Mike Leach, head coach at Mississippi State University. Coach, you strike me as the kind of guy that would have no problem finding things to do during at times like these. What have you been up to the past few months? You know, it's been kind of tough. Uh, it, it's uh, you know, part of it is because you don't know when you're going to start again and how soon that's going to happen. So you sit on ready, wait on go, and everybody's anxiously awaiting the time that that comes. But uh, um, it, it's been nice as far as reconnecting with family doing that on a regular basis uh my case i try to kind of plan my uh food and diet over the day since i have some time make sure i don't eat bad stuff i'd like to say i've exercised i've exercised some but um uh the 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 thing i've done better at is uh, making sure i eat well and i do exercise some and and so i think that's been positive uh uh, read some books, uh, 
uh, watch, uh, you know, I've watched a bunch of great documentaries. Just finished the uh, uh, the documentary, uh, uh, what's his name? You know the guy's name, but uh, uh, on the Civil War. Um, so that was outstanding. And uh, and then uh, watched a great documentary on Russian mobsters trying to buy a submarine for Pablo Escobar. That's called Operation Odessa. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, so try to be productive with the time, but, uh, and then the other thing in the course of it, there's a number of interviews, meetings, and staying connected with, uh, you know, everything from the athletic department to the SEC to, uh, our players, both on an individual level and the whole group, you know. Well, you know, obviously... We're looking forward to the season. We, we we said here on the podcast we're gonna we're gonna portray things as you know business as usual. We're expecting to be in Davis Wade Stadium that first weekend in September. You know, and for, thinking about you know Mississippi State and, and what you're gonna bring to the table and what you like to do offensively, it's never happened here at Mississippi State. This has always been a, a program that has run the football, run the football, run the football. Is there more of a challenge coming into a, a program like that and trying to change? Not only you know what you want to do philosophies, but mindsets of people. Because at Washington State, you know they'd had Drew Bledsoe, they had had Ryan Leaf, they were accustomed to throwing the ball successfully. Not so much here at Mississippi State. Is, is there a challenge to that? That's difficult to say. I'd be able to tell you better if you know we'd had spring in the offseason things, but uh, you know we've got to get kind of our schemes, our mindsets, and do a good job evaluating our players and put them in positions where they can be successful as quickly as we can and um uh and i don't know how exactly that's going to unfold but uh, whatever we're presented with we got to make the most of it when you came into mississippi state you know you had a, a quarterback room that was full of guys and then you bring in kj costello as a grad transfer what was your plan when you got here to maybe look at a transfer quarterback or was it a situation where costello was just too talented a guy for you to pass up well, we didn't have one in that class. We didn't have a senior quarterback, and so I wanted one in that class. And then the other thing, of course, we want the position as competitive as, as possible. And I knew that he had, um, you know, he played two full seasons, so I liked that part of it too. Mike, this is Joel. Been too long. Looking forward to getting you back over in Starkville here here soon, hopefully. Um, here, here are the last couple of months. Um, you know, every spring, regardless of what happens, um, there's always some attrition. There's always guys that move around and, and shake around and stuff. Of course, you, you've had some guys that's entered the portal and whatnot, but how much of, of some of this, maybe not even at Mississippi State, but just everywhere in general, how much of, a, of that this off season do you think has to do with the fact that guys haven't been on campus and haven't got to be around the coaches and be around their fellow teammates and stuff like that? Just how much do you think that's kind of played into things, maybe not even exclusively at Mississippi State, but all around the country this offseason? Uh, I think you spelled it out pretty good. Um, you know, there's going to be attrition, but I, thought, I think the attrition happens in different ways. If you, you know, if you have spring and it's all competitive and somebody's behind in the depth chart, then uh, maybe they leave or, you know, get dissatisfied or decide they don't uh, don't love football as much as they thought, then, you know, people leave or somebody will flunk out. Okay, so uh, through spring there's always some attrition. Um, uh, all schools, I mean, there's, there's more people on that silly portal than 
usually from all schools, not just us. We've got some on there, but, um, you know, and I do think it's like you say, I mean, they're away from football. They're uh, away from coaches. In some cases, yeah, the players, I think they get bored. I think uh, some of them miss the attention a little bit, and, you know, and so, uh, I, and I don't think it's typically anything's wrong with, uh, where they're at or the situation. I think you described it uh, nearly perfectly as they uh, get bored, they get out of their routine and, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, as the body goes idle, so does the mind, you know. It's You talk, you know, about trying to keep people in routines and things like that and getting to know your teammates, getting to know the new coaches. For you, you've got, you know, most of your coaching staff are guys you've worked with in the past, but how is it working with guys like Zach Arnett and Tony Hughes that you haven't worked with in the past? How has this situation worked out for you trying to, you know, get in get in lockstep with them? Well, it's exciting because they're, you know, they've all got a body of work. They've done some great things and, you know, just great people, great personalities. Also, Jason Washington, but, um, you know, and so uh, that's a, well, that's the other thing. You miss that too, you know. I've, uh, excited to watch them work work side by side with them and and get to know all of them better. But uh, you know we'll we'll do that in a concentrated period of time and get out there in the fall when they let us get out there and let it rip. One of the questions that Joel and I get the most about you and your offense and what's going to happen here at Mississippi State is that you know you look at State's receivers last year and the leading receiver had about 400 yards. Uh, when you took the job, I looked into some of your past stats, and that would have been good for eighth last year for you at Washington State. Just a really big-picture question here, but how do you turn 400-yard receivers into 800, 900,000-yard receivers? Oh, shoot, throw it out of more. Uh, <laughs> be accurate, throw it out of more, and uh, then after they catch it, tell them to turn and go straight up field. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, subtle things would be, uh, you know, really develop the ability to catch the ball. The other would be, um, the other would be, uh, uh, you know, that not just the handwork as far as the, the, the catching it, but really uh, one of the most important things is to get a great release and to and to come out of your cuts. You know, um, guys that can really come out of their cuts well, you know, are good at getting separation. Mike, one of the things that stands out to me, thinking back to your introductory press conference, um, back I guess it was only three or four months ago, but in some ways it seems like a year or two ago now at this point, all, all that's happened. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but one of the things that stands out to me is, is I remember you were asked the question about installing your offense, and I think your answer was something to the effect of, oh, you know, give me a week or two kind of deal. Um, I guess I would ask – were you serious there? Does it really only take a week or two to kind of get the grasp of of the air raid and what you like to do? And if so, do you feel like your offense and your style is kind of uniquely qualified, I guess, to, to say operate under these unique circumstances where you may not get as many practices or workouts or whatever over the course of the, uh, of the next few weeks leading up to the season? Well, the, the best situation is that uh, uh, have a team that you've been with and, and been there with throughout, but um, I think it probably it lends itself to that. I think we can in, install the offense in a fairly short period of time. 
Um, you know, it, it, it's funny you mention that. Install it's one thing, perfecting it's another. Yeah. I guess I don't feel like I've ever perfected the offense. I don't think we've ever perfected it. You know, we get you get better and better, and you improve more and more. But um, perfecting is a whole different uh, thing. And um, so I think you know you steadily improve. Once you install it, you steadily improve. Then, then players aren't thinking about what to do. We're coming up with Mike uh, Leach. We'll pick it up right here after the break. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman sat down with Mike Leach, the head football coach at Mississippi State. Ran out of time on that last answer, so we will continue that conversation here. The question uh, on the table is uh, Coach talked about the ability to quickly install his offense. He's pointed that out on multiple occasions. That is an idea and a concept that will certainly be put to the test this year. Here are Mike Leach's thoughts on getting that offense installed as quickly as he has previously alluded was possible. Well, the, the best situation is to, uh, is to have a team that you've been with and, and been there with throughout, but um, I think it probably it lends itself to that. I think we can in, install the offense in a fairly short period of time. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny you mention that. Install it's one thing, perfecting it's another. Yeah. I guess I don't feel like I've ever perfected the offense. I don't think we've ever perfected it. You know, we get you get better and better, and you improve more and more. But um, perfecting is a whole different uh, thing, and. Um, so I think you know you steadily improve. Once you install it, you steadily improve. Then, then players aren't thinking about what to do next. It uh, becomes more habit. It becomes more instantaneous. It becomes quicker. It becomes faster. And uh, you know how far down that path you get, I think, is a pretty good question. I didn't look past your years at Texas Tech and Washington State, but in those years, you never had a thousand-yard rusher. You had a couple guys get close, but never had a thousand-yard rusher. You've got Kylan Hill here, and again, sort of going back to my first question about you know the mindset and, and Mississippi State always being a running football team. You know how effective can Kylan Hill be in this offense, and do you see an, a, a path for him in your offense and the way you want to call plays for him to still be a thousand yard rusher? Well, I think he's got really good abilities for sure, and we've had guys close to a thousand yards, and we've had guys close to two thousand yards when you count rushing and receiving. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to – it would be great if we could get him over 2,000. Um, you know, but the other thing, it's going to be a competitive position, and we've got other good running backs too, and, and, and he certainly brings a lot to the table. But, you know, we'll see how the competition, all that comes out, and then we'll uh, try to get him uh, the running back position, the ball, as much as possible because – you know, with rare exception, they're the best athlete out there. They're the closest to the quarterback, and you do want to get them the ball a lot. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And then as you discover what they can do, devise more and more ways to do it. I'm going to ask you a question, Mike, that I don't even, I'm not 100% sure if you'll know the answer to even, but what's kind of your next month or two or so look like? like what, do, you, do you know what your – Next steps are when you'll be in Starkville, uh, when uh, when you'll get to be back with your team, or are you just kind of sitting around waiting and seeing what how the votes come, I guess, on Friday. Uh, the SEC is actually supposed to vote and stuff. Just what, what's kind of your next steps? 
Yeah, that's awfully difficult to say. I mean, I'm waiting to hear as well, and and I know people are meeting on it, and you know the experts are looking at a couple models, and you know I'm just waiting to respond when uh, when I know what direction it's going. So, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're not the only one, Mike. We we were really looking forward to getting back with you guys and, and covering sports again, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, very very soon, Coach Mike Leach. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Great talking to you. Mike Leach, head football coach at Mississippi State with Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman. You can hear that again if you want to go back and listen to it on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Has it dropped already, or did we just yeah. break news? Yeah, yeah, I dropped it uh, as soon as as soon as soon I finished up, so it's been up for a few hours already. There you go. So uh, if you missed any of that, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety on the Thunder and Lightning podcast with uh, Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman. Don't forget about the Rebel Report, hosted by Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky. And, of course, the Eagle Hour podcast. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, our buddy Luke Johnson coming up a little bit later this uh, afternoon. He is uh, a co-host of the Eagle Hour. So uh, said so would be nice if we could get Kylan Hill to 2,000 yards total? Yeah, I... I think he'd take Hard that. Hard to argue yeah. with that, right? If, if, you, if you gave it to him right now, I'm pretty sure he'd take that. Yeah. Um, no question that K.J. Costello is going to be the guy, right? None whatsoever. None. No. <laughs> I mean, in, any drama related to that is purely manufactured just for the sake of getting you to go, eh, really? So, yeah. He, he's going to be the quarterback. Um. I was fascinated when, when you mentioned the whole receivers that uh, 400 yards receiving, which led Mississippi State last year, would have been eighth on the um, Washington State team last season. Yeah, it's crazy. we got to throw it to them more for one thing. I'll give them a chance. So, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Appreciate Mike Leach joining Hey Dad on Thunder and Lightning. Two hours in the books. College Football Fix is coming your way after a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi. That is a fine acting job by Nick Saban in which he was scolding Big Al for not wearing a mask. Don't know if you guys have seen that PSA or not, but it is floating around. Sports Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the 5 o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. Now more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected. And C Spire is working to make that happen. From offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, they've even partnered with UMMC to turn C Spire's health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. Plus, they're giving wireless customers on eligible unlimited plans an extra 25 gigabytes of high-speed data each month making it easier for us to stay in touch during a difficult time. Those are just a few of the ways that C Spire is working to help our communities, from business to home to wireless. They're making changes to, to, to uh, attempt to stay a couple of steps ahead and help Mississippians stay connected to the services and people that we all love throughout this health crisis. You can learn more online at cspire.com 
slash cspirecares. Time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Ford, they've done everything that they were asked to do through the the trying times, whether it was building masks or ventilators or shields, and now they are open and ready to serve you with special offers and deals across the entire Ford lineup. Stop by a Ford dealership or go online to buyfordnow.com. At Ford, they've made it easier and safer to shop and to buy. Built for America, built Ford proud. So we started down the road yesterday of the list of top 25 coaches at the Power 5 level as put together by the folks at CBSSports.com. We kind of meandered our way through the top 10. Nick Saban, Davo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, Coach O, Brian Kelly at number 5, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher at 7, Dan Mullen at 8, James Franklin at 9, Ryan Day at number 10 at Ohio State. Is there anything to you that is egregiously wrong with the top 10? I don't know if it's egregious or not, but Ryan Day's inclusion at number 10 is at least interesting to me. I mean, I know that everybody talks about him being the next elite-level college football coach, and year one was a success, but it's not like he wasn't handed a roster that was championship-ready when he was the head coach. He's done it for one year and was given, uh, I mean, a sports car. And all he had to do was not crash it to win a Big Ten championship. So having him ahead of people who have done it for longer um, at more difficult places to win is a little bit surprising, but I can see why he's there. Because in year one, he did go to the playoff, but body of work, job difficulty, guy right behind him in Kyle Whittingham has done a better job just because he's done it longer. Let me ask... Let me ask this question. Of the guys that are in the top ten, how many of them could you pick up, take them out of their current job, drop them in any other Power 5 job in America, and get results that are better than the results that are currently happening at that program? I don't want to say they they automatically win a conference title or win a... Uh, a national championship, but could immediately achieve better results than are currently happening. It's a great question. Um, my first thought also depends is, on the program they're going to. Yeah, my first thought is most of them, because most of them are really, really good recruiters, and they would get talent, and that's what wins mm-hmm. games. And the guy who I think is the weakest recruiter in there is Dan Mullen, but he's a great developer of underappreciated talent, so I think he can win too. That's why they're in the top ten there. That's why they're elite coaches. Saban, Sweeney, Riley, Smart, Fisher, Mullen, Franklin, for sure. Well, you talk Ordron's, about Ryan Day Ordron's being a great handed recruiter. a sports he, he car. What was Lincoln Riley handed? Well, yeah. all, he was also handed a sports car, but he has been there a little bit longer. And he coached a back-to-back Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Both of whom were transfers. And had the Heisman runner-up this year who was a transfer. Yeah, Ed Ogeron, you're not necessarily taking him. And to me, the, to me, the, and, and that's probably doing a disservice to Ed Ogeron if you don't want to put him in that group where you can just drop him anywhere because he is going to recruit regardless of where he is. But, but I think it, 
it's not even a knock on Ed Ogeron to not necessarily. I think the marriage is just so perfect where he is. The, the, he, you know, it's a relatively short time that he's been the head coach at LSU, but there is not a better fit at any program in America than Ed Ogeron as the head coach of the LSU Tigers. But at the same time, he is an elite recruiter. So, true. If you put him in a new program, I think he would get talent there. Yeah. All right, next tier coaches. Let's do uh, 11 through 15. Kyle Whittingham, really good coach. Jim Harbaugh, Mike Gundy at 13. He's a man. Kirk Ferentz at 14. P.J. Fleck at 15. Of that group, the most overrated is, is is probably Harbaugh, to be totally honest. And I think he's almost being rated more on what he did at Stanford than what he did at he's done at Michigan. In quick sidebar, I know what he said was stupid, but remember when Mike Gundy got absolutely roasted for saying that we're going to bring the kids back this summer and play because the likelihood of them getting sick is really small? And mm-hmm. they're all bringing all the players back this summer because the likelihood of them getting sick is really small? Yeah. Hmm. He's just the uh, the crazy guy with a mullet that says whatever's on his mind and likes to rattlesnake hunt. I think it's like the, the, the news network that he referenced was the biggest issue for a lot of people. Yeah, that was... Again, a lot of what he said was really stupid, but he... He said what a lot of people in college football, like the stakeholders in college football, were thinking, but they knew they couldn't say. Yeah, like the fact that it's the economic engine. There were were some people that took a little umbrage with uh, the comments that he made about the finances and the need to get those guys back. State of Oklahoma needs these guys playing football. He wasn't lying. Nope. Not only was he not lying... He wasn't wrong. Is P.J. Fleck at 15 about right? Hard to ignore what he's done. Might be underrated. If you were hiring Uh, a football coach right now, today, who would you want, Jim Harbaugh or P.J. Fleck? Does Fleck stick work everywhere, though? Maybe not, but it works in most places. the two places that he's been. I mean, a max I mean, we talk we talk about shtick. I mean, Dabo has shtick. Nick Saban has a shtick to it to a certain degree. It's not you know all you know shucks and you know being a being happy go lucky. His shtick is that he's just a miserable prick, but it that, works. That is part of the reason why Fleck took the Minnesota job. I mean, he said it himself. He's like, I don't work everywhere. Hmm. I wonder if we'll get another. I'm sure win, in the next did. couple of years you'll, we'll have a chance to see if if it does work anywhere. You know, if it works at a at a Texas or a Southern Cal or something like that. Uh, Kirk Ferentz at 14. There are a lot of people that love to kind of poke at Ferentz a little bit. Because for a while he was you know, one of the highest paid coaches in the country. And oh, just mediocre results. If you look at Iowa's results, I mean, you can call them mediocre if you want to. You also could call them a model of consistency over an extended period of time. His, at a place that is not a traditional power. I Hayden Fry, I know. I understand all that. But Kirk Ferentz is so 
he has far surpassed what Hayden Fry accomplished, hasn't he? Yeah, it took over an embarrassing program. Uh, his worst season was his first one at one and ten, then went three and nine the next year. After that, has one losing regular season from the year two thousand to twenty nineteen. Do you survive one and ten, three and nine today? It's a great yes. question. I, I, I would say really. Well, depending on the situation that you walk into. I mean, there are places where you don't survive back-to-back bowl appearances. Just saying. True story. Different scenario, though, that he walked into. Yeah. Same with, like, Frank Beamer. If you look at his career, he probably would not have had the same career if he had started today because he started out very poorly. He's got six double-digit win seasons at Iowa. Yeah. Absolutely he does. You want to know how many players the state of Iowa produces that any SEC team wants? Not very many. We'll look at 16 through 25 when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm on this Thursday. on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. MLB Network's got uh, Game 7 of the ALCS 2003 on it. Not looking good for the Yankees. They're down 4-1, to one, bottom of the fifth inning. Pedro's been pretty darn good. Probably not going to end well for New York. Or maybe, maybe it will. Can't give up hope just yet. We'll have to wait and see how it shakes out. You're going to put that on the DVR, Borky, so you can not miss the ending? Oh, I, I definitely – on the edge of my seat. The favor was returned and then some next year, to be completely fair. Uh, okay. You're so mean, Rippy. You're just mean. I mean, I'm a fan of both moments. I think they're awesome. Don't have a dog in the fight, but – like. Like, you thought that was brutal in 03. Like, which was more brutal, actually? Because the other one was a slower build. What, being, what, hitting the walk-off and, what was it, bottom of the, it was extra innings, wasn't it? It was extra innings, yeah. So Boone hits the walk-off, or the following year where the Yankees are up 3-0? Sure, but you got to contextualize a little more, because at that point the Red Sox are the cursed losers in 03, and while the Yankees had probably the more embarrassing exit, it's not as like the the history was not as miserable. Oh, no, they're great stories. And look, I mean, to have a great rivalry, both teams have got to win some. I mean, if you never, ever, 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 ever lose to your rival, it's not really much of a rivalry. Or if you never, ever, ever, ever win against your rival, it's not much of a rivalry. Oh, but we've got to preserve so much in college football for the third Saturday in October. 
Alabama's gotten closer. They've made up a little bit of ground. I'm sorry, Tennessee's gotten a little closer to Alabama. They've made up a little ground. It's it's not been a slaughter so much as just a good old-fashioned beatdown now. Maybe next year it'll be a rock fight. I don't know. It was it was actually closer. It was. Not, uh, what was the... Garantano didn't do that. He like tried yeah. to audible on a quarterback sneak and do something goofy and then blew it and fumbled and Alabama returned it for a touchdown. That was one of those classics, too. The, the stripes were not letting Alabama lose that one. I remember that one being particularly poorly officiated. Oh, that never happens. Mm. What? Never. Poorly officiated? Go ahead. Let's get the rest of this list in before I start ranting. Well, I was going to say, you know, you you and officiating is like me and the NCAA and our opposite reactions to the other going down that road. That's a good point. Big fan of both. Top 25 list that has taken us two days to get to number 15 on. So let's look at 16 through 25. Gary Patterson, TCU at 16. Is that too low for him? He's slipping a little bit. You know, five years ago he might have been in the top 10. It's hard to sustain. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of the point, though. Yeah? He navigated through conference realignment pretty swimmingly. Yeah. Swimmingly. Well done. Paul Chris at 17. One of the most iconic bowl games of all time, the 2018 Cheez-It. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Uh, Paul Christ at 17. I think he's a little underrated. I don't think he gets enough credit. Maybe it's just because they haven't won the big one yet or whatever, but, I mean, he's been at Wisconsin five years, and four of which they've won double-digit games. It's pretty good. Guy can coach ball. Yeah, he's a good coach. Gus, yeah. Gus Bus at number 18. Hey, Dad. Real quick, though, you talk about fit. Paul Christ is the perfect fit for Wisconsin. I mean, he just... He is he, he he is a Wisconsin kind of guy. Lager and cheese curds. Yes, <laughs> he does uh, very much look like Wisconsin. Doesn't he look like the kind of guy that was belly up to the bar and and you know sit there and eat cheese curds? Yes, he does. I mean, so is uh, Bird. But, true. Yeah, it's true. So so do I, for that matter. I like cheese curds. Yeah, but uh, Bert Bert got tired of uh, Alvarez micromanaging. I think. Yeah, that's all that is. I think Malzahn's overrated here. I mean, he's he's a four-loss coach. I mean, there. Yeah, that I means he's an eight or nine-win coach, though. Yeah, but at Auburn, I feel like he underachieves most years, especially you know considering his recruiting rankings overall. Who else in the SE, Who else has won the West twice in the Saban era? Oh no, you're not wrong about that, but I think that's more of a, a shot at how you know. Don't poorly put managed. your facts in in no, Haydad's right. face. I mean, in the statement, did LSU? Win I was it mostly twice? just I don't honestly think that's asking. Right. I don't know. Is there someone else? I'm trying to think, Miles? No, no. Because no. he's weird. He has the two years, and then he is a four-ish loss coach. And even like, in one of those years, he lost four games. Yeah, true. But he did go to Atlanta. Like you can't like winning the West twice is no nothing to shake a stick at. It's, it's, he's yeah. a weird test case. Yeah, he. I feel like he underachieves. Even when he overachieves and he wins the West, he still, you know, uh, finishes with four losses. Twelve and two, Almost eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, ten and four, eight and five, nine and four. And his twelve and two year is the biggest outlier year. They won three games in the final thirty seconds that year. They were they were literally wait do those less than a minute away. They count, but you're less than a minute away from being eight and eight, or being seven and five his first year. 
Oh, you can't do that, though. The, I'm not saying you can do that. I'm just saying there's a there's an incredible amount of luck. And what it, was the, the third? State. Yeah, they scored on a, a last-second touchdown to beat Mississippi State that year, very yeah. early uh, in the season. I don't yeah. remember that and, game at all. I mean, it's it's not very memorable. It was Dak Prescott's first career start. I guess that's that's the main thing from the state perspective. But when you when you say okay, you can't take that into account. It's never happened again. So it's not like he's you know this great clutch coach who finds a ways finds ways to win the game late. It just he had one lucky year. If he was doing it year in and year out and constantly winning ten or eleven games and oh that cardiac those cardiac cats down there at at Auburn, but he's not. Yeah. Uh, David Shaw at 19. He's taken a step back the past couple years. Yeah, it, it feels like Stanford's offense has to evolve. And I just don't think they're going to. I think they're going to kind of stick with what they do. Yeah. It, he, he, he is so dependent. You, for, for Stanford to be a 10-win team, They've got to be elite at quarterback. They've got to stay healthy on the offensive line. They've got to be elite at running back, and they have to have one elite wide receiver. And maybe that's asking a lot, because it's certainly harder to recruit to to Stanford than other places. But if you've got what is it, Ar- Arcega Whiteside at receiver, and Christian McCaffrey at running back, and KJ Costello at quarterback, and the offensive line stays healthy, you can run any offense you want. But if the offensive line is banged up like they were a year ago and your quarterback gets hurt and Christian McCaffrey's running around for the Carolina Panthers, I mean, Arcega Whiteside can't do it by himself. Yeah. And you're going to be a six-win football team. 17 losses in the last three years. But uh, to your point, I, re- I was sitting at a bar in New Orleans watching, I forget who they were playing even, but the graphic came up on the TV and they showed the image of all of the players. They had more offensive linemen out for the season with injury than active on the day of the game. I think it was UCLA. Yeah. But more offensive linemen out for the season than were available to play in that game. Three years ago, David Matt- Shaw might have been in the top five, and now he's 19th. Two years ago, Mac Brown was in a television booth. Yeah. Now, after one season back at the University of North Carolina, he's at number 20 on this list. He's a national championship winning coach who came into a program that was in bad shape and got them to a bowl game and brought in Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator, and it worked. When everybody around here rolled their eyes about it. Not everybody. Well. Not everybody rolled their eyes. Yeah, but you're just playing the role of antagonist. Mac Brown surrounds himself with elite assistants to to and helps you know bring them up. That's that's the Mac Brown way. I can't even keep a straight face. <laughs> they lost to Appalachian State last year. Hey, how dare you? Uh let's see here. Pat Fitzgerald at twenty-one. Slips a little I'm, bit, but it's done such a good job at Northwestern. Two of these next three are where I'm going to raise my hand and say, if we're just talking about the coaching stuff, because I, I don't know, I, I, and I think that's what this list is. We're not looking at the, what they are as people and what they. You know. I don't think a whole lot of athletic directors would take Pat Fitzgerald over Mike Leach. Pat Fitzgerald, 
Mark Stoops, Bronco Mendenhall, Mario Cristobal, Matt Campbell. That's a good final five in your list. Yeah, Mark Stoops being at at 22, I think, is ridiculous. Too high or too low? Too low. Yeah, he's a good coach. He's done a great job there. But there's no way Mike Leach, to me, is not one of the top 25 coaches in college football. Bronco Mendenhall over Mike Leach, not in this lifetime. Come on. Virginia played for the ACC title last year. Well, that's great. Did they win it? They played Clemson, for God's sake. So they didn't win it, is what you're telling me. They yes, were, that's what I'm more, telling you. One more appearance than Leach? Uh, Mike Leach has a Big 12 title. Doesn't he? I think he does. I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour. And Luke, I can't tell you how good it is to talk to you on better circumstances than the last couple of times we visit visited. How are you, my friend? Good, man. It's actually something to talk about today, opening back up. Trivia question to start off Thursday, bro. Who, uh, Where was Mac Brown's first full-time college coaching position? Full-time. Uh, Tulane, wasn't it? Southern Miss, wide receivers under Bobby Kyle. Oh, not full-time as a head coach. Full-time yeah, coaching full-time position, coach period. Position. Yes. Really? How about that? In 1975. So, Luke, you played for Mac Brown. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. No, you're actually older than me, Richard, so the whole state knows that now. <laughs> yes, I, I am aware. Uh, I am aware. What's going on in the uh, in the Pine Belt region? Well, we hadn't uh, had any bad storms this month, so that's a win. Um, number two, um, man, just uh, just – Thankful that they are allowing voluntary, uh, you know, practice or voluntary workouts. That's been the biggest thing we've been talking about on the Eagle Hour lately. Is how in the world, you know, we're gonna what the schedule is going to look like, and with the council voting that yesterday, just super stoked on there. Been following uh, also Jack Abraham on Twitter. It looks like he did a little workout with um, John Rice Plumley a couple weeks ago. The the Oxford starting quarterback tampering now lives in Hattiesburg. And the, the Oak Grove quarterback in Hattiesburg now, uh, you know, plays for the Oxford team. So you should know a lot about Jack Abraham since he took over your throne at Oxford High School. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say maybe elevated it. <laughs> it. It's gone from a step stool to an extension ladder, if that's, uh, if that's the comparison that we're making. Um, all right, Luke, so... Conference USA, in terms of what the league is allowing, you get the NCAA Division One Council yesterday coming and saying June 1st, voluntary workouts can resume. We've looked at what the SEC has done. Uh, the expectation is there's going to be a vote tomorrow in which the presidents are going to say, yeah, we'll, we'll allow that May 31st date that was on the books to, uh, to sunset. Has there been an official word from Conference USA that indeed schools can uh, follow the directive of the NCAA? Nothing yet. We spoke on the Eagle Hour to Russ Anderson, who's the assistant commissioner over football, a few weeks back, and they at that time were just still at a wait and see. But you know, they'll they've been pretty good to follow. You know what comes down from the top pretty quickly. So we should see an announcement tomorrow or the next day with that. But 
my, my biggest question as a former college football player is, you know, voluntary, voluntary is a very relative term, but mm-hmm. I guess any workout is better than none at all. Yeah, and I mean, don't you think with guys having been away for as long as they've been, I mean, okay, sometimes practice is a drag, sometimes it's a bore, sometimes you have to make yourself go, but when you've had no football activity and you are a football player, that's what you do, that's why you're on scholarship, don't you think those guys are just absolutely chomping at the bit to get back with their teammates and start some semblance of of what normal used to look like? Yeah, I feel like they are. Um, I just remember, even if people didn't want to admit it, uh, you you missed the camaraderie. Uh, you a lot of guys wanted to act hard and you know be macho man over in their corner, but if you got down to their heart of hearts, they loved being around the guys. And I think that's been one of the the, the hardest things here um, is some for some players. You know, their their football team is the only community and real relationships that they have. It's the deepest relationships they have, even with the coaches that they may be frustrated at from time to time. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest motivation. Just, you know, driving around the Pine Belt, going by high school uh, fields and and uh, campuses, seeing, seeing kids on their own, different sets of kids, different days, you know, out there on their own working. So I, I think you will see a big response because guys have been missing it. Luke, the, the financial impact of COVID-19 has been felt everywhere. It's been felt in our, our communities. It's been felt by small businesses. It's been felt by big corporations. And we know it's been felt by college athletics. And regardless of the size of your budget, um, th- there is strain that is going on. How Southern Miss and other teams in Conference USA, how are they going to deal with the financial implications of – uh, you know, things kind of being shut down for the last few weeks, and where do we go from here? But possibly limited numbers of fans. Talked to Jeremy McLean a few weeks back, or last week, uh, actually, and, you know, from a from a spring aspect to it, a lot of the senior season ticket holders in baseball just, you know, didn't request a refund. They just told the school to keep that, so the attitude in Hattiesburg's been pretty good. It will be really bad, though, should something come down and we have football um, games without without fans, that's where you're going to see uh, really the the aspect of the financial part really hit schools like Southern Miss um, because the the TV deal you know compared to what other schools get is non-existent or even other, what other leagues get. Uh, Old Dominion, who has a real um, history wrestling program, just canceled that program, which was kind of shocking. It, in some ways, it was like firming canceling baseball. Um, so yeah, they've already started feeling it in Conference USA. Um, you know, some of the proposals that have been put out with a possible alignment in a few years of a bigger conference or combining the Sun Belt, uh, something's going to have to happen. Um, uh, but particularly we need fans in the stands, uh, as soon as possible, um, in the fall, uh, or else you will see even before December, I think some financial issues, uh, just that are real glaringly apparent. It's almost like you were reading my mind. I was going to bring up the uh, the article that Patrick McGee wrote last week at the, uh, at the Sun-Herald. I, he's probably not the first to uh, – well, I know he's not because you and I have talked about it in the past. You know, float the idea of, of some combination of Conference USA and the Sun Belt. And geographically, it just feels like it makes so much sense. And I feel like – and tell me if I'm wrong here – that because of the geographic consideration, y- you might – 
create a little more buzz and a little more interest among the fan bases in that you're you're not playing a team that's from 800 or 1200 miles away as a conference game but instead you're playing a team that's 200 miles away and if fans want to make those trips they can and and it just feels like it makes sense does it to you yeah i mean it's it's it would kind of be like um the aspect of what major leagues doing right now just you would have regional opponents to cut down on the uh, the travel. So yeah, I, I would see in some ways a bigger conference with with regions in there. So it's crazy why Southern Miss and South Alabama aren't in the same conference. Sure. Know, Troy being in there, um, Louisiana Tech obviously. Um, you, you look at the the possible rivalries that should come up. It it, it makes recruiting a whole lot hotter. Um, but, yeah, you wouldn't be forced to go to El Paso one week and Norfolk, Virginia the next week, which Conference USA is one of the most spread-out conferences if you take Norfolk to El Paso in the country. And you look at the possibilities even within outside of football, but, I mean, you start getting, I was just uh, thinking about what that baseball league might look like. Holy cow. You start getting Coastal. You start getting Lafayette in there with La Tech and Southern Miss and South Alabama, and you've got potentials. To be maybe a three three bid team at the end of the year. That would be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And it just feels like I mean it would make a ton of sense I think financially and 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 won't that be the driver in all of this is to be able to do something that makes it um, more sustainable financially. Yeah, it's going to have to be that. I don't think I think your pipe dream in that scenario is to get the the best from Conference USA and the best from the Sun Belt and merge, but I don't I don't think it'll you know the other the other mid tier or lower tier teams in that, that that really don't have winning programs I don't think they would you know agree to that to get left behind even more so some compromise of putting everyone together and then splitting it into regional makes a whole lot more sense. So so what if you combine the two leagues you're talking about twenty four teams is that right? Something to that. So they've even talked about, you know, the idea slowed out there, make make three divisions with eight teams each. Yeah. Be uh certainly would be fascinating. Uh, have you have you talked to Jay Hobson? Have you seen him lately? Uh, how uh, how anxious is he to get going? Just text, uh talk through a, a couple of the people with coach. Yeah, they're ready to go, man. They're they're chopping at the bit. Jay Hobson more than anything is a football coach. Um he spits the X's and O's even in public sometimes, so yeah, they're ready to go, ready for Matt Kubik to get a new offense going. Picaro's back on the defensive side, and they've shifted some guys around. So, yeah, it, it seems as if everybody's just, just waiting to go and, and uh, get gearing up for September 5th. I know I sound like a broken record when I say it, but it does feel like things are trending in the right direction, and given where we've been, I think we'll all sign on for trending in the right direction right about now. Luke, always appreciate the time. Good visiting with you this afternoon. Thanks, guys. Have a great Thursday. That is Luke Johnson. He's co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel. Be sure and uh, download uh, that podcast. You can check out the Eagle Hour podcast as well.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.